Welcome everybody to today's episode of the Dr. Millie podcast. In today's episode, I am joined by Dr. Emma Short. Dr. Emma Short is a consultant doctor in the NHS specialising in gastrointestinal and soft tissue pathology. She also has a PhD in cancer genetics. She is passionate about gut health and the microbiome, and that's what we will be talking about today. She, as a pathologist, spends many of her working hours diagnosing chronic diseases such as cancer, and many of them and the diseases that she looks at are preventable. And every day she sees the effects that people's lifestyles have on their health and well-being. And therefore, as a result, she's become passionate about health promotion and disease prevention using lifestyle intervention. In today's episode, we talk about what the gut microbiome is, why the gut microbiome is so important. We talk about the concept of the estrobilome and its roles, what health conditions are linked with gut dysbiosis. We talk about pre and probiotics. And we also look at why gut health is such a hot topic at the moment and what we can do to improve our gut microbiota health. I hope you enjoy today's episode. If you do, then please like and share. Without further ado, I welcome Dr. Emma to the studio. Welcome, Emma. Thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. So do you want to tell the guests a little bit about yourself and what sparked your interest in the gut microbiome? Thank you very much for having me here, Melly. My name is Emma Short and I work as a consultant gastrointestinal and soft tissue pathologist in Wales. Um, I've got a PhD in genetic mechanisms and colorectal polyposis. So I've always had a big interest in the gut, in gut health and more recently in the gut microbiome. So tell us a bit more about your understanding of the gut microbiome. So in in lay terms, so everyone can try and understand, because it's a big hot topic at the moment. What is it? What is the gut microbiome? Yeah, so that's a great question. So first of all, what is a microbiome? Um, A microbiome describes a collection of microorganisms which live in a specific environment. Um, Specifically, the term refers to their genetic material, and we should use the term microbiota. But most people are familiar with the term microbiome, um, so I'll carry on using that. Um, By microorganisms, um, we mean tiny little creatures that you can't see with the naked eye. Um, You'd need to use a microscope to visualise them. So it's um, species such as bacteria, viruses, fungi, archaea. Um, And as humans, we've got different microbial ecosystems on us, in us and surrounding us. Um, So as you're sitting there, you're surrounded by your own unique microbial cloud, uh, which is largely derived from bacteria found in your nose, mouth, throat and on your skin. Um, Similarly, we've got microbiomes in our airways, in our urogenital tracts, on our skin. um, And the gut microbiome describes the microorganisms which live throughout our gastrointestinal tract. So anywhere from mouth through to anus. So our esophagus or gullet, our stomach, our small intestine and our large intestine. Um, Generally, when we're talking about the gut microbiome, we're talking about the species which live in our large bowel or our colon, um, and the vast amount of research has been done on bacterial species. That's really interesting because I think people just have the assumption that when we talk about the gut microbiome, it is just about the large bowel, like you've mentioned, which is where most of the studies have been, but it kind of covers everything doesn't sit from top to tail and and I think it's just being aware that that there's multiple areas where we can have a microbiome and you know your vaginal microbiome like like you said so why is it important so I mean you know we've both been to medical school there was nothing in the curriculum 
when when I was there about the gut microbiome. So it's it's really becoming a very, very hot topic. Why is it so important? Yeah, that's a really good question, Millie. So I guess there's two two issues there. The first, as you say, when we were at medical school, we, we didn't really get taught about it. Um, and that's because our understanding about the gut microbiome has only really increased over the last decade. Um, and that's because um, genetic technologies have become more readily available. So initially, when we started to look at the gut microbiome, a lot of the research was carried out on poo samples and trying to grow bacteria in the laboratory um, on effectively like jelly. Um, and some of the bacteria have got very strict growth requirements. They didn't always grow efficiently. So it was very hard to learn a lot more about the gut microbiome. Um, over the last decade, there's been a rapid expansion and availability of genetic um, sequencing technologies. And these allow us to look at the genetic material within the bacteria um, at great, a great depth, we look at a vast range of species. So it's through the um, access, increasing accessibility of those genetic technologies, next generation sequencing technologies that we've been able to study the bacteria in a lot more detail. Um, and then secondly, why, why are they important? Um, they're incredibly important, um, both in maintaining our health, our well-being, and when things go wrong mm -hmm. with the gut microbiome in causing certain diseases. Um, so in terms of what the gut microbiome does, um, first of all, it plays a role in defense. Secondly, it plays a role in inflammation and immunity. Thirdly, it has a synthetic function. And fourthly, it has a metabolic role. So I'll just spend a couple of minutes talking about each of these. Mm. So first of all, in terms of defense, um, within our bowel, it's a very interesting environment because our bowel must be permeable or, or leaky enough to allow water and nutrients to be absorbed, yet it must be impermeable enough um, to stop any, any harmful um, species or any toxins in our diet from being absorbed into the bloodstream. So we've got something called an intestinal barrier um, that comprises mm -hmm. the gut bacteria, a layer of mucus, and then the epithelial cells, which are the cells that line the gut. So in terms of the bacteria or the gut microbiome, um, they, they almost they form like a physical barrier. So the fact that they're there means that any um, potentially harmful species have got less access to the gut epithelial cells. Um, they use some of the metabolic products that are available so that they're not available for harmful species. They play a role in maintaining the um, mucus barrier and in the functioning and the health of the epithelial cells. And some species produce antibiotic-like molecules um, which act against harmful species. So that's one of the roles they play in the first line of defense. Um, also related to defense is inflammation and immunity. So the gut microbiome is incredibly important in the development, the maintenance and the activity of our immune system and in regulating inflammation throughout the body. Uh, the gut microbiome's got a synthetic role, so they produce some of the B vitamins, vitamin K, um, neurotransmitters, which are little chemical messengers that allow nerves to talk to each other. Um, they also produce amino acids. And then finally, um, a metabolic role. So one of the incredibly ma majorly important roles of the gut microbiome is in the fermentation of fiber and non-digestible starches into um, products called short chain fatty acids. There are three main short chain fatty acids and pretty much they can affect almost any, any organ system throughout the body. Um, they, they're involved in maintaining the integrity of the blood brain barrier, 
in communication between nerves, in regulating our appetite, in cholesterol metabolism, the functioning of our liver. I, I could go on. Basically, mm-hmm. um, these products, these short-chain fatty acids, have a vast range of effects throughout the body in maintaining our health. That's absolutely fascinating. You've mentioned neurotransmitters, um, you know, that help the nerves talk to each other. Um, are there any particular ones that the uh, that the gut's responsible for making? Yeah, so the gut uh, produces between 70 and 80% of serotonin within the body, and that's what's commonly known as the happy hormone. Mm. It also produces dopamine, GABA. Um, something I think is important to mention is that these neurotransmitters that are produced by the gut microbiome, they don't cross the blood-brain barrier, so they don't have direct effects within the brain. What they do is affect the activity of the nerves um, in the region of the gastrointestinal tract, which can then feed back and talk to the nerves within our central nervous system so is that why people say the gut's like a second mind and you know you've got the gut brain axis what do people mean by that when they say the gut's like a second mind and that intuition and that gut brain axis what 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 do people mean when they say that yeah so i think probably a lot of us have experienced this interaction so so if you're nervous or anxious you might um, get butterflies in your stomach or you might experience diarrhea um and there is this gut brain axis so the gut talks with the brain and the brain talks back there are different mechanisms by which this interaction takes place so there's activity in nerves um, the, as we've said, the gut influences the activity of, of our immune system and inflammation, which has an impact on the functioning of our brain. Um, and there's also ho- there's also a hormonal communication as well. So obviously we've got this gut microbiome. We've got all trillions of organisms that are in our colon. And I know everyone's different. I suppose it's like our own b- blueprint, isn't it? Having what we've got there. It, there's going to be what is what is the goal? I mean, is it to have one or two? I mean, I suppose my question is going to lead on to talk about dysbiosis, but I suppose it's just tell me a bit about what our aim should be. How how many species and strains should we have? Is I mean, I know there's not going to be a, 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 the correct answer here, but what is ideal? So basically, we want our gut microbiome to be as diverse as possible, to have as many different species there as possible. I'll just take a step back and just briefly explain how our gut microbiome is established. Um, So when we're babies um, in our mother's wombs, the general feeling is that we almost have no bacterial species. The major acquisition um, of species occurs at the time of birth. So depending on whether the baby is born via a via via the vagina sorry mate i can't get it out the baby is born via the vaginal canal or via cesarean section so babies who are born um via the vaginal canal have got more species within their guts that are similar to the maternal vaginal and the maternal gut microbiome whereas babies who are born by a cesarean have more skin type microorganisms within their gut The next really important factor is the method of feeding. So depending on whether the babies are fed by breast milk or by bottle milk, generally babies who are fed by breast milk have a more um, diverse and rich microbiota. Um, And breast milk really is fantastic. There are um, special molecules within the breast milk that are purely there to nurture the baby's um, developing gut microbiome. They haven't got any actual nutritional benefit for the baby themselves. 
And then over the first three years of life, or two to three years of life, there's a massive expansion in the gut microbiome. And this depends on a wide range of factors. So as we've said, mode of delivery and method of feeding, and then a whole load of other influence, influences come into play. Uh, most importantly, what the baby and toddler is fed on, but other factors such as how many siblings the child has, whether they go to a childcare facility, whether they live in a rural or urban environment, um, whether they've got any pets, particularly dogs, even factors such as whether the dishes are hand washed or go in a dishwasher play a role. Um, mm. Generally, the gut microbiome reaches relative stability by the age of two to three. Um, and then throughout the rest of life, we've got a core community, which is about 50 to 70 percent of the back of, of the bacterial species. And then the variable community, which is very much influenced by environmental factors, particularly diet. Um, and we can talk a little bit about that. Uh, but mm. Other factors are important, such as sleep, exercise and um, the, your, the quality of your social connections um, and various other lifestyle factors. I think that's really important how you mentioned about what can influence the gut microbiome and you mentioned breastfeeding and just from my point of view as a GP it's when we, we try and encourage people to breastfeed as much as possible obviously there's reasons why people can't breastfeed and that's absolutely fine acceptable it might be personal choice but for us to give enough information to patients and give them all the necessary information to make that decision we should really be informing them about the benefits of the gut microbiome really it's just something that I thought of when you mentioned it because it's the same you know if we're, if we're giving people all the information to make an informed decision they should know that the the benefits of breastfeeding on the gut microbiome for the baby so that was just something I wanted to mention there yeah, so you, you, you were great in what you've just mentioned there I think it was really all those crucial bits of information which I just want to pick apart a little bit. You've said there's lots of factors that can affect the diversity of the gut microbiome, lots of things that are positive towards it, and I suspect there'll be lots of things that can negatively impact it. Do you want to tell us what dysbiosis is then? Yeah, so when we're talking about the gut microbiome, the term dysbiosis is quite commonly used. Um, it basically means a reduction, well, there are two meanings for it, a reduction in bacterial diversity or an imbalance in the species which are present so that you've got less of the good bacteria and more of the bad bacteria. Generally, when we're talking about dysbiosis, we are referring to that reduction in diversity. And what you said about lots of things impacting on the diversity, what, what things can negatively impact? So you, all the things in lifestyle you've mentioned, if we try and look at each pillar, so within our nutrition, what things are negative towards the microbiome? Okay, yeah. So first of all, what's really good for the microbiome is diversity and fibre, polyphenols, fermented foods. And we can look at those in a bit more detail in terms of what's bad for the gut microbiome ultra processed foods, very high sugar, very high fat diets um, are bad for the gut microbiome. And generally in the whisk western world we get we get a bit of a double whammy effect so in the western world um only a very small proportion of people meet their recommended fiber fiber requirements um, and that's because they're generally eating a lot of highly processed foods in the western world we get about 60 percent of our calories from ultra processed foods so we're seeing a double whammy effect on the gut microbiome we're not getting enough of what of what we need the good stuff and we're getting mm. too much of the bad stuff um so yeah highly processed foods and absence of the good foods excess alcohol, 
um, is harmful for our gut microbiome. And then in terms of the other, other lifestyle factors, so if we have inadequate sleep, both in terms of duration and quality, um, so fragmented sleep and short sleep duration is associated with a reduced bacterial diversity. Um, interestingly, if you have got reduced bacterial diversity resulting from inadequate sleep, um, the gut microbiome produces interleukin-6, uh, which helps us to feel sleepy. So helps us to try, it almost tries to restore us to a state of adequate rest. So if we're well rested, mm. if we are getting enough good sleep, our microbiome stays diverse. If our sleep's fragmented, um, the, the bacterial diversity reduces. Um, exercise is also important. So much less research has been done on these other factors compared to nutrition. Yeah. Um, the general consensus with exercise is that moderate amounts of cardiovascular exercise, so the type of activity which increase our um, heart rate, our respiratory breathing rates are beneficial for the gut microbiome um, and lead to enhanced bacterial diversity. Social connections are important. Um, yeah. So if you if you live with someone, your gut microbiomes are more similar to that, that compared to that of a random stranger, which you would probably expect because you're living in the same environment. You might yeah. be sharing foods. But it's not just living with somebody. It's also the quality of your relationships that are important. So if you're in a relationship that you're very satisfied with, your gut microbiome is more diverse than somebody who is unsatisfied with their relationships. And that's independent of um, diet, but it's more it's likely to be related to other lifestyle factors that if you have strong social connections and you're happy with your social connections, you're more likely to engage in other positive um, health behaviours such as exercise, sleeping well, reduced stress levels mm. and so on. Um, having mentioned stress, that's another factor. Um, so when we're stressed, we've got activation of our sympathetic nervous system and activation of our hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, so higher levels of hormones. Um, high levels of stress are associated with dysbiosis. Um, so yeah, so it's not it's not as straightforward as diet. Although diet is the most important factor, all of these other lifestyle factors are important in shaping and modelling our gut microbiome. So what have the studies shown, and what do we know about the gut microbiome and dysbiosis and disease and poor health and ill health? Is there a link there? Yeah, so there, absolutely there's a link. So um, generally, if you've got reduced, so reduced bacterial diversity is associated with a vast range of diseases. Um, it was around 100 at the last count. And these are very diverse diseases. So bowel cancer, depression, anxiety, multiple sclerosis, ADHD, um, lots of mm. different diseases. Um, something that's very important to mention is that an association doesn't necessarily mean causation. So there is an association between dysbiosis and disease, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the dysbiosis is causing the disease. It could be causing the disease, it could be an effect of the disease, or it could be a completely random finding. Um, there are certain diseases that we do know that the dysbiosis is causative. Um, and a lot of this research that's lead, led us to this conclusion has been carried out in, um, in, in mouse models. So you have a mm -hmm. mouse which has been um, brought up and grown in a, in a sterile environment, so it hasn't been exposed to bacterial species. You then have have a human who's got a specific disease you take the poo from that um, patient 
put it into the mouse and you observe the mouse to see whether it develops that phenotype or that those disease characteristics. For example, if you take the poo from an obese adult and a, the poo from a lean adult, put the poo, poo from the obese adult into one mouse, the poo from a lean adult into another mouse, we see that the, the, the mouse who received the obese patient's poo becomes obese. Mm. I think I find that's absolutely fascinating because you've mentioned the function of the gut microbiome and its metabolic function and how how your gut microbiome can influence and be implicated in obesity for those reasons you've said, I think is fascinating, which again just highlights how obesity is a multifactorial condition with many, many things that are causing the issue. And we need to address all of those on an individual basis to kind of improve. Yeah, absolutely. So you've mentioned. I mean, in terms of obesity, um, so the gut microbiome, we find that the, pa pa the gut microbiome from the patients who are, who are obese, the species are present, which leads to enhanced appetite, um, increased energy harvest from food, increased uptake of triglycerides into fat cells, um, more laying down of fat. Um, so exactly as you say, it's you know, it's a, a multifactorial disease. So you've said about the um, 50, did you say 50 to 70% of our gut microbiome rel is relatively stable when yeah, we get into our yes, adult yeah, life? Between, yeah, sort of between 50 and 70% is a relatively static core community. And it's just, is there certain bacteria, so is it lactobacillus, bifidobacter, are there any specific kind of species that predominate? So that's interesting because it kind of leads, have you heard of enterotypes? It leads into the question about enterotypes. So across so enterotypes is quite a controversial topic i'll explain what they are and then we can have a look at why it's controversial um so generally people around the world are found to have these different different groups of bacterial species which are present um and people are classified into one of three enterotypes depending on the dominant species which are present um, and it's thought to be interesting because people who have a certain enterotype um, are more at risk of developing certain diseases. So if we've got this knowledge, we can use that knowledge to try and um, intervene in any way to reduce the risk mm. of those diseases developing. The reason why it's controversial is that when we often these um, these classifications are done on a single poo sample, so just a snapshot of that individual. Um, and we know that the gut microbiome composition can change very rapidly. So if you change your diet, um, you can see changes in the gut microbiome within one to two days of that food reaching the large bowel. So at the individual level, we can say, okay, well, you know, maybe on one day they would have belonged to this group, but perhaps on another day we might have to see a different bacterial picture. So although the concept of enterotypes can be useful at a population-based level. Um, at, for that individual, it may not be as black and white. Another reason why the controversial is that some people feel that the third group isn't a true group and it should be incorporated into one of the other groups and there should only be two groups. Mm. Um, and, and other people say we shouldn't be classifying at all because it's more of a spectrum. It's just kind of artificially creating these groups. But in terms of the Western world, um, our, the majority of species we have are members of the Bacteroides and Firmicutes families. So that leads us nicely onto, I suppose, prebiotics then. So a lot of people might get confused between pre and probiotics. So what are prebiotics and how, the, how can they benefit our gut microbiome? 
So prebiotics are describe the um, the foods that the healthy, the beneficial bacteria like to have in order to for them to to thrive and to be nourished. Um, so all prebiotics are fibre or resistant starches, but not all fibre would count as a prebiotic if it doesn't have that beneficial effect on the the friendly, the beneficial bacteria. So in terms of um, foods that are good prebiotics we're thinking of things like banana jerusalem artichoke onions garlic so you know c common ingredients that we well particularly like the bananas and the the onions and the yeah. garlic that we often have um in our kitchens whereas probiotics are the actual live bacteria so the formal definition of probiotic um are the live bacterial species that will confer a positive benefit on the host so if you consume probiotics um it's beneficial to health in some way so in terms of probiotics, um, they can be bought as supplements, so they're readily available in supermarkets and health food shops on the internet as capsules, but also certain foods and drinks are very good as being probiotic. So things um, such as kefir, kombucha, sauerkraut, so it's all the fermented foods because they contain the live bacterial species. So when you have things like, you know, live yogurts for example they might not be labeled as being probiotic because i suppose if there's not been any clinical studies which shows that they confer a benefit to our health would you still say that they're beneficial for our health because they contain good bacteria yeah so that's a, a really interesting question so probiotics um they're not regulated as a drug or medication they're seen as a food mm. um or a supplement so the kind of the research um the standards that they have to go through are slightly different compared to if you're looking at a drug. Um, you can, you know, that the, the gastrointestinal tract is quite hostile. So in your stomach, you've got stomach acid, you've got digestive enzymes, you've got all the churning movements. Um, so when we take on board probiotics, they won't always necessarily reach the large bowel. Um, so they might not mm. even survive. If they do get there, they don't actually take up permanent residence um, or move in or live there. But what they do is provide the beneficial bacteria with um, metabolites and substrates that they can then use to enable them um, to, to, to grow and to thrive. Some also have positive effects on the intestinal barrier um, or on the functioning of the gut epithelial cells. So a common question, I, because it's becoming more of a hot topic and it's in the newspapers and the media a lot more, I'm seeing a lot more patients ask me about this. Is it currently in any clinical guidance that you're aware of in which we should be educating people about how we should improve the gut microbiome? Because I'm not aware of any. Are you aware of any at all? I don't think there's any current clinical um, clinical guidance in the, guidance in the NHS. Um, but I think... Um, you can there's a lot of very sensible safe advice you can give to patients such as you know making sure you increase your fiber intake aim for mm -hmm. at least 30 plant-based products a week and by that we don't just mean fruits and vegetables we also mean nuts legumes whole grains um mm -hmm. try and include some fermented foods in your diet just as a side note for that in terms of probiotics they're not recommended for anybody who is immunocompromised in any way so just as, mm -hmm. a, as a note of caution um and then to address the whole of um whole of lifestyle factors so you know prioritize sleep maintain social social relationships um exercise don't drink in excess don't smoke so we know cigarette smoke is harmful for the gut microbiome yeah and it's interesting as well because obviously antibiotics is you know prescribing can be quite quite a prominent feature as, as gps 
And in the UK, we obviously don't give probiotics on sat, you know, in, in conjunction with that. That's not something we prescribe. But it, I suppose it's something we should be saying to our patients that they should be mindful of their gut microbiome. And you've mentioned earlier about we can make changes in the gut microbiome even after a few days of eating beneficial foods. So I suppose it's just giving all the important lifestyle advice to patients of what they can do to help support the microbiome after or during an antibiotic course as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. interesting question. And it is an area mm. which is being actively researched. Um, because some studies have shown that if you give a probiotic supplement alongside the antibiotic, it helps, helps to maintain bacterial diversity. Whereas other studies have found that if you give a probiotic, either during or after antibiotics, it can actually lead to a delay in the reestablishment of the gut microbiome. Or for some patients, um, the microbiome never reaches its pre-antibiotic diversity. So it is an area which currently um, is a bit... Bit not no not adequately understood and it is an area which is being actively researched to see what we can do alongside antibiotic therapy to try and maintain that gut bacterial diversity um, generally the advice about increasing your intake of um, fiber whole grains fruit vegetables etc mm -hmm. it will be benny will be very beneficial and I've just got a few questions from the listeners now if that's okay um so I've got um, some questions came in um one question is, what is the estrobilome? Yeah, so the estrobilome is very interesting. So um, when girls and boys are young, when they're prepubescent, their gut microbiomes are very similar. Around the time of puberty and adolescence, we see a divergence. So the adult males and adult females have different compositions of their gut microbiome. And one of the major influences of this are the sex hormones. So as a woman goes through her adult life, she reaches an age where she becomes perimenopausal. And at that point, we see a change in her sex hormones. So in a nutshell, there's a reduction in levels of estrogen. And when that happens, mm -hmm. we see a reduction in gut, mi gut micro microbial diversity. In terms of the estrobilome, um, the, our livers metabolize um, estrogen in such a way so that we can excrete it in our poo. What the gut mm -hmm. bacteria do uh, are change that estrogen um, to its pre-converted form um, so that it can be reabsorbed and have systemic effects. So at the time of the perimenopause and menopause, we see a reduction in bacterial diversity. We see a reduction in the number of species that are able to do this conversion. Um, so we see less recycling of that of the estrogens. So the estrobilone basically refers to that almost recycling of the estrogen. So mm. they're in our gastrointestinal tract. The gut microbiome changes them in such a way that we can reabsorb them and they can then have effects throughout the body. That's really interesting there. So have I understood this correctly in that low estrogen levels can impact our gut microbiome and that can have a knock-on effect on the recycling system yes. as well? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. So for me, you know, it's people that we give HRT to who may not have a response. And I suppose for me, that just reinforces, again, the importance of highlighting a balanced lifestyle, because there's so many factors that can influence 
and, and, and just taking a medication doesn't mean we'll respond because there's so many factors that may may influence whether they're going to work. Like you said, the gut microbiome, for example. Yeah, and with HRT, some studies have found that HRT helps to maintain or enhance gut microbial diversity. Other studies have found that giving a probiotic supplement will reduce some of the um, negative symptoms that can be um, seen in association with the perimenopause and menopause. We've got another question here about sweeteners. And now you mentioned earlier about the negative impact of ultra processed foods on the gut microbiome. And um, a lot of people try and reduce the calories by having sweeteners. And I know that there's different types, synthetic ones, but there's also natural ones. So your stevias and your erythritol, which comes from the monk fruit. So what, what are you, what's your view and what did the research show about sweeteners and the effect of those on the gut microbiome. Yeah, so sweetness is an interesting topic. So they were originally um, used as what they were thought to be inert. So they were thought to pass throughout the gastrointestinal tract, not mm. be absorbed, to make the food taste sweet, but to not have any effects on our body. We now know that that's wrong. Um, sweetness absolutely have an effect on our metabolic responses and they have an effect on our gut microbiome. So some sweeteners, but not all, uh, will reduce bacterial diversity. So will cause dysbiosis. Um, and through that dysbiosis, they can have a ne negative impact upon metabolic parameters such as our glucose responses, our glucose tolerance, um, HbA1c levels, levels of fats within the blood. Um, so yeah, so some but not all sweeteners can have an adverse effect on our gut microbiome. And I personally avoid all sweeteners. Mm, me too. I, I've started, if I want to add any sweetness, I, I'll add some chopped apple to yeah, the salad yeah. or dates instead. And I think getting, and again, that's just increasing your diversity of what we're eating from a plant food point of view. Um, but I try and avoid all sweetness but it's amazing what things are added in so it's always really important to read the label yeah, absolutely. Um, we've got one more question um about how does fasting affect the gut microbiome um intermittent fasting extended fasting what what's your thoughts on that yeah, and what does the evidence show as well um again compared to um nutrition and what you're taking into your bodies there are far fewer studies so we know that intermittent mm. fasting or time restricted eating um has a positive impact on metabolic health and not just on metabolic health on a whole range of health and well-being related parameters um, and it does have a positive impact on the gut microbiome so initially the studies were done in rodent particularly mouse models there are now some human studies um we know that intermittent fasting has a positive effect on the gut microbiome. Um, we know that fasts of between 12 and 14 hours are beneficial. Some studies have found that fasts of 16 hours are beneficial. Um, and possibly one of the mechanisms why intermittent fasting can have a positive effect on metabolic parameters is that when we see this enhanced bacterial diversity and remodeling of the gut microbiome, we see changes in the expression levels of some of the genes that are involved in metabolic regulation um, and in factors such as increased uh, um, factors such as uptake of triglycerides into adipocytes. Yeah, it's fascinating. I think, again, like you said, there's it over the last you know, 10 years or so, we've had a lot more information about the microbiome due to the, the, the way that we're testing. And there's going to be so much more research in these areas, which is going to confirm or refute what we know. And I, I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing what's going to come in those areas. Um, and then I suppose I wanted to ask, um, 
this year I'm focusing on the word balance. That's the word I'm focusing on this year for 2023. Is there a word you're focusing on for 2023? So it's quite similar to you. It was going to be calm. So at the start of the year, <laughs> rather than have resolutions, I kind of had, um, they, they weren't resolutions or goals. They were more kind of, most, oh, I'm not sure what the word is, but really, kind of values to live by, which were um, family, connection, health and calm. So similar to your balance, I was trying to make life a little bit less hectic and a bit a bit calmer and like you say, a bit more balanced. I think, um, do, you, do you want to tell the um, listeners about the books that you've done as well? Because they're great. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to dig it out now. Oh, oh thank is, you. Yeah, um, so we've yeah. done three books so far <laughs> and then another book's coming out next year. So the first book was called A Prescription for Healthy Living, A Guide to Lifestyle Medicine. Um, and that was a book explaining some of the concepts and background to lifestyle medicine and that book was aimed at healthcare professionals but following on from that I wanted to write a book that was aimed at the public um, to help the public mm -hmm. to um, make small lifestyle tweaks um, to improve their health and well-being so that book is called um, how not to do it to do it all and energize your life and the acronym energize stands for um, exercise and movement nutrition the environment, so think about the effect of spending time in nature as opposed to the digital environment, um, relationships and social connections, goal setting, ideas, mindset and stress reduction, sleep and then ultimately empowerment. So a lot of people have a lot of knowledge about um, health and well-being, but it's actually how you become empowered to use that knowledge um, to translate it into actions that will have, a, have that positive change um uh there's a recipe book the smoothie doctors in which all of the recipes mm. have been contributed by um by other medics and then finally the book which is coming out next year um is about the gut microbiome yeah and i would encourage everyone to read how not to do it all energize your life i've read it it was a fantastic read um so I, i'm after this in the show notes i will link emma's instagram account and details of how you can find her as well Thank you so much, Emma, for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I think we've learned so much more about the gut microbiome because it's so so much out there, which can be quite conflicting. And I think you've just been able to just give us a lovely summary of what it is and give us some accurate information. And we can take all that information away to empower ourselves to improve our gut microbiome. So thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. It's been lovely speaking to you. Thank you.